turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word will stand. I'm so thankful that we're on the winning side. Matthew chapter 13, every year I ask God to give me a theme verse for my life. Uh, something I can focus on throughout the year. And, and in the beginning of this year, uh, we were in North Carolina for a couple of weeks. And for the first two weeks of my devotions, I just parked on Matthew chapter 13. And the verse that uh, God has given me as a theme verse for this year is verse 58. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58. It says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I praise you that your word will stand. That your word is truth, that though men have sought to destroy it, try to defeat it, Lord, your word is alive and it is alive forevermore. And as we've gathered here this morning, you've gathered us together in this place for this time, and we've opened up your word, I pray that you'd open up our hearts. Lord, I don't know what each person may have gone through this week, what they may be going through in their lives, but I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us specifically. Lord, show us the sin of unbelief in our own hearts. And Lord, that you would give us a a, uh, a change of life and that we would uh, have the faith, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, purge us from this sin of unbelief. I pray that you would exalt yourself above all of our problems, above all of the circumstances, above all of the issues, above anything. Lord, that you would exalt yourself above all here this morning. Lord, may we see you high and lifted up. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we enter into this passage, Jesus has just finished speaking near the Sea of Galilee. When I think of the Sea of Galilee, I now have been to Israel, so there's a picture of what the Sea of Galilee looks like. He's gone from the Sea of Galilee back to his earthly hometown, to the hometown of Joseph, of the town of Nazareth. He enters in on a Saturday, the Sabbath. Uh, this is the day that they meet uh, uh, together, and, and uh, now we don't have church, uh, we don't meet on church on Saturday anymore because of the resurrection. Acts 20, verse 7, we now celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ every Sunday. Even though this isn't Easter or Resurrection Sunday, we come and meet to celebrate the resurrection, that Christ is the victor over sin, over the grave. And this time as they gather for this Sabbath, there's going to be a guest speaker. They've known this one uh, who's comes in, and they all recognize him. They, they recognize him from his family, from when he grew up, and, and the things that he did. But there's going to be a different reaction than maybe what you and I would if Christ came in even to this room here this morning. You see, they had the sin of unbelief. They didn't believe that this was the Messiah. Uh, they thought that he was just as, as, as anyone else. And the sin of unbelief is all around us today. Uh, there are people who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's people, there's Christians that, that we have also this sin of unbelief. 
Someone said if we can get the atheism out of America, we would see revival. I submit that if we can get the atheism out of us, we could have revival. We live as if God doesn't exist. Uh, now, I know, if it, please uh, don't misunderstand me on all of that about the atheism thing, but we live as if there is no God. And so should we just go around with the status quo? Should we just live as other Americans live? Should we just think as other Americans think? What if God wants to do more in and through us? What if God wants more out of us than what we're just even thinking? Should we let the circumstances that we see and the people that we're around dictate the kind of Christianity that we should have? Now here in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, it says, And He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Here is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse of 58, the, the word He, these two letters put together in this sentence represents the God of eternity. This is the one who is the Messiah who was prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel, which we know is God with us. He's the same one that was prophesied in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is the one that's going to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all you see when he died upon that cross for our sins he put all of the sins of the world upon himself and he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. You see, He put upon Himself your sin of pride, my sin of fear, your sin of lust, my sin of anger, your sin of bitterness, my sin of gossip. He put all of that sin upon Himself and He paid the price for our sin, which is death. But He didn't stay there, did He? No, He rose again the third day. And He conquered sin and He conquered the grave. And so here is this Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one by whom is said all things are held together. They consist. He is the God of all ages. The King of all kings. The Lord of all lords. The one that, ev that, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that He is the Lord. Those that mock Him now, deny Him now, reject Him now, someday will bow the knee. This is the God who is omniscient. He's all-knowing. The God who is omnipresent, He's all-present. And the God who is omnipotent, that He is all-powerful. This is the One who said, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. This is the One whose very name is faithful and true. And He will show more power than any other who has ever gone before Him than that is that He has resurrection power. This Lord Jesus Christ, 
who was all-powerful, did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. When Megan and I were in Israel, we went to the Sea of Galilee, but we also went to this town of Nazareth. There's nothing there as far as just the ruins of it, but there's no commerce there. There's no uh, uh, people that are there. It's just a ruined, a ruined city. We walked on the same uh, cobblestones that Jesus Christ walked on. Or as uh, someone said, when you go to Israel, you really run where Jesus walked because you're going so fast trying to see everything. And, you know, I remember being there in Nazareth. And apart from anything with, uh, in connection with Jesus Christ, we would not know of the town of Nazareth. There's nothing in the, in the Scriptures apart from the Lord Jesus Christ that mentions the town of Nazareth. Now, he's coming back home. This should be something that would excite him. There's just something about coming back home to a place that you're familiar with. Megan and I, we travel all across the country. I've been to all 50 states. I've uh, been to several foreign countries. But uh, I grew up in California. I was born in Kansas, but I grew up in California. California's home. And, and when I get back to, you know, in California, just, there's just something about being home. Uh, Megan and I were in uh, Tennessee earlier this year, and, and uh, we were driving, and and the speed limit was very low. And, uh, and so I'm just like, you know, this is so stupid. You know, in, in California, this speed limit would probably be 60, 65 miles an hour. I don't understand why it's 40 or whatever it was. And, and I'm like, this is just so stupid. And yet, if people came to California, uh, they would uh, go to Walmart and like, why do I have to pay for bags? Uh, this is stupid. Why do I have to pay for plastic bags? We get them free where I'm from. You know, and so, but there's just something about coming back home. And here is a place where Christ and His earthly home comes back, but this isn't going to be a, a, a friendly reception. Let's pick up the story in verse 53, Matthew chapter 13. It says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, He departed thence, and when He was coming to His own country, He taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished. When's the last time you were astonished at the Word of God. Not even just in a, in a message, in a, in a preaching service, but when you spent time in God's Word and the Word of God just struck you and you were in awe, you were astonished by the Word of God. Here they were astonished and they said, whence hath this man, this wisdom and these mighty works? Again, they're not believing that it's Christ, the Messiah. Uh, they said, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence hath this man all these things? This next statement in verse 57, just it surprises me. Verse 57, and they were offended in him. And I, I think, how can you be offended with the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who loves you more than anybody else. The one who knows you more and wants what's best for you more than anybody else, how can you be offended in Him? And yet, the, it, it just reveals the, the arrogancy and the pride of, of these uh, people's hearts and their sin of unbelief. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. They reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is actually the second time He's come back. The first time they rejected him, they, they wanted to kill him, and he was able to escape without uh, uh, you know, getting uh, physically harmed and things. 
And so he comes back, and I'm thankful that God gives us a second chance. I'm thankful for the second, the third, the fourth chance, and, and, and Christ comes back a second time, even though they had rejected him the first time. Now this verse 58, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This verse strikes conviction in my heart. Even as I read it this morning, it strikes conviction in my heart. As I read through the Scriptures, and maybe as you do too, there's some verses you don't even have to explain before the conviction settles in. And this is one for me. I'm convicted by my sin of unbelief. The word unbelief convicts my heart, but the word that that really convicts my heart is the word there. He did not many mighty works there. God has called me to be an evangelist. That calling, I, I surrendered to it when I was 15 years old. Calling has never left. It's always intensified. There is nothing else on this earth that I'd rather do than be an evangelist. Every major decision in my life has been uh, based on being an evangelist. And uh, we uh, uh, based there in Sacramento at Faith Baptist Tabernacle, and, and uh, Megan you know, has been working a job and things, and I don't know of any evangelists uh, other than uh, John Getch and Paul Marchand that are based in California. Uh, they're all based Midwest or back East. Uh, well, it's, you know, the churches are closer together. Uh, it's cheaper back there. Uh, you know, there's more churches to go to. And God hasn't called us. I have no desire to go back East, to be based back East or Midwest. I believe that this is where I'm right where God wants us. They're in California. My heart, my burden is for the West. And I, there's other men that have tried to go and get in, into evangelism in California, and it's not worked out. And so I started pouring in on all of these impossibilities. You know, God, there's, there's no other really evangelists getting started. The other two, they're established. And, and uh, you know, of course, Brother Getsch, you know, teaches at the college and things. And, and uh, Brother Machon's a retired Navy officer. And, and I'm like, Lord, it just, it just can't happen. I just don't see it. You know, to break off her job, we need that. It's, it's a life support. I can't live on the, the monies here, you know, that we're getting and things. And, and I'm just pouring in on all of these impossibilities. And I am sinning the sin of unbelief. And I remember I was sitting in my sister's house in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, we're about to go to a, a meeting, uh, Meg and I, that day. That, and I was doing my devotions. And I parked on the next, the next word was the word there. And I parked on that word there. You know, Jesus Christ went to the town of Nazareth and Nazareth, because of their sin of unbelief, rejected him, and he passed on that town. He wanted to do the many mighty works. He did do some. But he wanted to do the many mighty works, but he passed on that town and went to another place where he could be used and, and uh, glorify the Father by the many mighty works. And I sat there, and it was as if the Lord spoke to me, didn't audibly, but, but impressed upon my heart, Tim, I could pass on you. I don't have to use you. Wow. This calling has been on my life since I was 15 years old. God says, I could pass on you. I've got others. You know, I think about that sometimes. I've, I've been to a lot of churches, and, and uh, I get to some places that... You know, they just have a handful of people and things. And, and the pastor says to me, you know, if I left this church, this church would fold. Now, after going through this, 
And as the Lord leads, here's what I'm going to say to that pastor the next time he says that. Well, who do you think you are, pastor? Whose church do you think this is? If it's God's church, God's got someone else that He can bring in. He could pass on you. And you know what? God can pass on me. He doesn't have to use me. And all that struck the fear of God upon my heart that, that He could pass on me. And He passed on this town because of their sin of unbelief. And God could pass on me because of my sin of unbelief. God could pass on you. God wants to do some great things at Grace Baptist Church. He's done some great things, but He's not done yet. But if we sin the sin of unbelief, we hinder what God wants to do in and through us. And He could pass on us. How do you define unbelief? A belief is what you accept to be as true, but the sin of unbelief is rejecting what God says is true. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Is God the God of the impossible? I was with a group of preachers. We were praying uh, uh, last month, and, and I said, it seems like that here in, in our day, it's like Goliath is, is mocking and making fun of God and the armies of God and even the leaders are cowering in fear. Where is that young man, where is that burning in his heart, that King David that's going to be, that says, is there not a cause? Who is this dead dog? Who is this one? Is not God bigger than Goliath? Oh, yes. And is not God bigger than any circumstance that we face? Any situation that, that we're facing even now? The sin of unbelief. Is, it is the root of all sin. You can, you can classify sin uh, all the way down to the sin of pride and the sin of unbelief, and really they go hand in hand. Spurgeon had a message on the sin of unbelief. He said, unbelief has more phases than the moon, more colors than the chameleon. Common people say that about the devil, that he's seen in one shape and then sometimes in another. He says, I'm sure this is... True of Satan's firstborn child, unbelief for its forms are legion. Is it not a sin for a creature to doubt the word of his maker? Is it not a crime and an insult to the divinity for me and Adam, a particle of dust, to dare to deny his word? Is it not the very summit of arrogance and the extremity of pride for me, a son of Adam, to say even in his heart, God, I doubt your grace, God, I doubt your love. God, I doubt your power. He said, oh, sirs, if you believe me, if you could roll all the sins into one mass, if you could take murder and blasphemy and lust and adultery and fornication and everything that is vile and unite them into one vast globe of corruption, they would not even equal the sin of unbelief. There is no greater sin than the sin of of unbelief. He went on to say a, a fearful form of unbelief is that doubt which keeps men from coming to Christ. Uh, they, which leads the sinner to distrust the ability of Christ to save him. He says the most hideous of all is the traitor and his full colors, blaspheming God, madly denying his existence, infidelity, deism, atheism, 
are all the ripe fruits of this pernicious tree. They are the most terrific eruptions of the volcano of unbelief. Unbelief, he said, went on to say, has become full stature. When putting off the mask and laying aside the disguise, it profanely stalks the earth, uttering the rebellious cry, No God. Striving in vain to shake the throne of the divinity by lifting up its arm against Jehovah and in arrogance snatch from his hand the balance and the rod, rejudge his justice, and be the God of God. That's the sin of unbelief. Where you want to be the God of God. Where you say, God, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do my own thing. You know what the sin of unbelief is? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. That's the sin of unbelief. Leaning to your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. And when we sin the sin of unbelief, it is a direct defiement against His character. Saying, God, I can't trust you. And it's an insult to God for us not to trust Him. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart everything we've got god you're not trustworthy i'm going to trust in myself i'm going to lean to my own understanding it's a direct attack against his character and then it also dishonors his glory unbelief dishonors god every other crime touches god's territory but unbelief aims a blow at his divinity and peaches his veracity denies his goodness blasphemes his attributes, maligns his character. Therefore, God of all things hates first and chiefly unbelief wherever it is. Why would God do want to do the many mighty works so that it would glorify the Father in heaven? Why would God want to do impossible things in and through us? Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us, why? Unto Him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You see, this sin of unbelief dishonors God. It takes away the glory that is rightly due to His name. Faith fosters every virtue. Unbelief murders every one. Thousands of prayers have been strangled in their infancy by unbelief. Unbelief has been guilty of infanticide. It has murdered many an infant petition. Many a song of praise that would have swelled the chorus of the skies has been stifled by an unbelieving murmur. Many a noble enterprise conceited in the heart has been blighted before it could come forth by unbelief. Many a man would have been a missionary who would have stood and preached his master's gospel boldly, but he had the sin of unbelief. And God was working in my heart that my sin of unbelief would hinder what He wants to do in and through us in our ministry and what He wants to do even in our church. I was at a church earlier this year and it was the uh, uh, first time we were there at this church. It was us, I were preaching there all day Sunday. and Sunday afternoon, I, it was a long weekend. I'm just tired. I'm worn out. I want to go home. It's a very long drive back home. We're probably not going to get home till midnight, 1 o'clock. And Megan and I pull into the parking lot 6.30 or 5.30 uh, uh, for the service. And, and, uh, and we pray. And I'm praying. I'm saying, God, please bless this service. And God, as I'm praying, God is smiting my heart 
with conviction, telling me, you know what, Tim, you're right now. I mean, my attitude at that point was I just want to get through the service. I just want to go, go home. I want to get through the message, go home. And the Lord says, Tim, you're being prideful. You're being selfish. You're being lazy. Tim, this is my church. These are my people. What if I want to do more tonight than you're even expecting? And I went from praying with Megan to confessing my sin right then and there with Megan. Saying, God, I confess to you, I am being prideful and selfish and and lazy. God, this is your service. I have a message prepared, but you just take over. You do whatever you want to do. And I don't even know all what I said that night. (laughs) I had the message prepared, but he kept going different places and burning my heart in different areas. And God worked in a great way. The next morning, uh, I'm praying the pastor had... Uh, then set up a time for us to come back and do a meeting uh, there at the church. And, and the next morning, I'm praying, I'm thanking God you know, for what He did in the service on that Sunday and, and how He worked in a powerful way. And then God showed to me that the, that the hindrance that day was not the church. You know what the hindrance would have been? I don't want to be a hindrance. I want to be a help. But if I have the sin of unbelief, I will hinder what God wants to do. And I would be ashamed just to see the many times I have hindered God in my own home church because of my sin of unbelief. Things God wanted to do so much more for me, but I was selfish, I was lazy, I was prideful, I had the sin of unbelief. You see, this is the root of all sin. There is no sin as great as the sin of unbelief. There's no sin as great as the sin of unbelief when it comes to Christ. John 3.18 He that believeth on Him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. People don't believe in Christ. There's only one way to go to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. John 14.6 Jesus saith in Him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. You trust any other way than Christ? God says you're condemned already. You're condemned to the lake of fire for all eternity. There's no sin as great as the sin of unbelief. We have the sin of unbelief in that we don't see our sin as bad as it really is. We become careless with our sin. I'm studying and working on a message for the men's meeting and And I'm just getting overwhelmed by how personal God is. Do you know that your life affects God? Your life affects the Holy Spirit. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. Your sin of unbelief, your sin grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves what what God uh, desires for us. And we don't see our sin as bad as it is. We have the sin of unbelief. Sometimes we think, oh, we're trapped in this sin. We can't get victory. That's the sin of unbelief. No, we can walk in victory. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Has not God promised a way of escape? Has not God promised that there's a way of victory? Yes, we can walk in victory. 
You can be faithful in church. You can be faithful in the Scriptures. You can be faithful in prayer. You can be faithful in soul winning. You see, the strength of our prayer life for the lack thereof reveals our sin of unbelief. I think about uh, the sin of, of worry. You know what worry is? Emotional atheism. You look at the situation, atheism, awe, theism, no God. You look at the situation without God. I, I got hit with this, this this past week with worry, and I start, started to worry about those things, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute, Tim, stop it. <laughs> no, put God in the equation in this. And boy, I started putting God in the equation on that, and I started worshiping the Lord, and the Lord just changed my whole attitude. No, I don't need to be worried about that. Worry is emotional atheism. It's acting as if God doesn't exist. My dad pastors a, a small church in Sacramento, and most of the time in my life, they've been, my mom and dad have been Christian school teachers. My dad's uh, pastoring this church, and their mission's giving for the year uh, before he came was $500. And uh, pretty pathetic. Uh, and so my dad said, uh, well, you know, how about this year for missions? How about we pray and, and maybe, you know, seek God. Maybe God wants to do more. Like maybe if we ask God for 800 this year. And immediately those uh, the leaders in the church were like, oh, pastor, we've never done it that way. Uh, you know, yeah, we've never done it that way. We've not done it with, you know, putting God in the equation. But we think, oh, pastor, we haven't done it that way. We've always given 500. We're going to keep giving 500. And my dad said, no, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. What if God wants more out of us? What if God wants to do more? And they said, well, I guess we can start praying for that. By the time it was all done, they had nearly tripled their missions giving that year. You know, what, did, what, does, what can happen in your missions giving when God gets involved in it? Not just in what you think, okay, this is what I can do. What about putting God in that equation and saying, you know, maybe, maybe I can seek God for this amount. You see, we, we think so much without God. We have unbelief in our circumstances where we think that our, our circumstances are bigger than God. I was at a church earlier this year, in small town, small church, and I was talking about this church that uh, God had just revived in a small town and, uh, and really revived the entire town, uh, doing some amazing things in that town. And, and the pastor got up and he said, how many of you, when, when Brother Schmidt was talking about that, you said, well, God can't do that here? And about half the congregation raised their hand. My heart sunk. And my, the pastor later confessed to me, he says, Tim, I said that because I was thinking the same thing. Well, God can't do that here. And when we think that way, it's just almost like we're saying, we need someone bigger than God to revive the church. We need someone bigger than God to revive our town. We need someone bigger than God to revive my state of California. We need someone bigger than God to revive America. And it's just like we're saying, God, you lied when you said in Isaiah chapter 40 that the nations were but a drop in a bucket. Because God, the nations are so much bigger than you. No, how big is our God? He's, he's higher than we can think. Uh, he is, you know, you think the highest thoughts you can think about God, He's higher than that. The greatest thoughts you can think about God, He's greater than that. Oh, God's a box breaker. We put God in a box, we think He has to work in this certain way. No, He is so much bigger. 
He tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we must labor to find out what is true according to God and resolutely reject any deviation from it and cling to those things that are true about God no matter what is happening around us. You see, we're called to walk by faith, not the sin of unbelief. He says in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You know what that sin is? In context, he's, Hebrews chapter 11 is the, the great faith chapter. In context, it's the sin of unbelief. He says, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Oh, we do suffer from that sin of unbelief. God wants us to walk by faith. He wants to do the many mighty works in and through us. Some people kind of uh, might take it in a different way and say, okay, well, if God's the God of the impossible, then He can help me win that billion-dollar lottery. Uh, you know, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And you know what? Uh, you need to remind yourself of James chapter 4 that and verse 3, it says, You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. God's not going to do those things. The miss is in vain. You're asking for selfish reasons. God's not going to do the impossible for selfish reasons. No, why would He do the impossible? So that He would receive the glory. Should we just go with the status quo? Should we just live as other men live here in America? Should we just say, you know what, that the way that Christianity is, that's just the way that we're going to do? Or maybe God wants to show Himself in even stronger ways than what maybe you've not even seen before. One of the highlights of our summer, we're at a church, and another first time we had been to this church, and, and uh, I, I knew the pastor, I was filling in for him, and, and this man introduced himself, and introduced himself as the pastor. And I know he's not the pastor, and, and I quickly found out that he is the jokester in the church. All right, you, all, you, got, you always have somebody like that, and, and he likes to pick on people, and I'm like, you're not the pastor, I know who the pastor is. And he says, well, I want to introduce myself because my wife and I are taking you out to eat tonight after the service. He says, I'm, uh, I'm planning on going to Sonic. That way you can stay in your car and we'll stay in ours. And <laughs> I probably should have taken him up on it, I don't know. But uh, he just loves to pick on people, and... And he teaches one of the uh, Sunday school classes in the church, and he's a popular uh, Bible teacher there, uh, 71 years old. And, and uh, that night I preached, preached that morning, also that night we get in the vehicle and we're driving to this restaurant, not Sonic. And he says, I thought for sure that you were the answer to my prayers. He says, after you preached Sunday morning, I thought, that's it. I told my wife, this is who we've been praying for. And I'm like, okay, what, what's this that you're praying about? And, and he says, I have been praying that someone, that God would send someone to Mesquite, Nevada to start a church. How many of you know where Mesquite, Nevada is? All right, good. Uh, not quite even half. I, I'm like, Mesquite, Nevada? Where is Mesquite, Nevada? And I knew of, of Mesquite, Nevada, because that's where uh, Stephen Paddock, the, the shooter in Las Vegas, was from. 
It's on the border of, of uh, Nevada, right next to Utah, and so uh, southern uh, Nevada. And, and, uh, and he says, yeah, my wife and I, we go on vacation in Utah, and we always pass this town. I've been praying that God would send someone to start a church there. And he begins to, uh, you know, he's telling me, he says, you know what, I, you're, you preached that morning, and I thought, you're the guy to come and start this church. But then you got up on a Sunday night, and you talked about how God's calling your life to be an evangelist, and he, and he said, nope, you're not the guy. I know that that's, that's God's call in your life. It's obvious. And so uh, he starts telling me his story. He got saved when he was 29 years old. Uh, he got on fire for the Lord. I don't think he went to Bible college or anything, but uh, started getting involved in bus ministry and, and uh, teaching classes and whatnot. And, and then he said, I got what people call burned. And he says, I quit. I gave up. For 20 years, he says, I was out of church. He says, six years ago, I found this church on the internet, and uh, we've been coming here, and he says, oh, how good it is to have a pastor again. And uh, he says, I uh, just retired a, a year and a half ago from being a fire captain, and, and, uh, and he says, so I'm trying to you know, serve in the church. I'm, I'm part of Pastors 100 Club. And I said, what's that? And he says, that's where we knock on 100 doors a week. <laughs> he says, that's what him and his wife do. They knock on 100 doors a week, and He's 71 years old, and he uh, begins to tell me some more things. And, and he said, I was, and I'm, I'm sitting there in, in his car. We're going to the restaurant in the passenger seat, and I'm just like, Lord, I know you don't want me, but I think you want him. I think it's him. And then he begins to tell me that many months before that, he woke up at 2.30 at night and said, okay, God, I'll go. I'll do it. 71 years old. Never pastored. I don't think ever went to Bible college. Never started a church. And he says, when I surrendered to God, he says, there was such a peace that came over me. You know, his wife is 100% behind him. Uh, We got to the restaurant and he begins to tell me of things that God had done to lead up uh, uh, to this time as we were meeting together. And he said, I had a boat and I needed to sell the boat. And He said, uh, I tell people when you get a boat, put it up for sale because it's going to take that long for you to sell it. And and, uh, he says, I I put it up for sale two weeks later. I got the exact amount I was asking for. He says, I had my house. And he says, we just sold our house. He says, Tim, we're leaving in two weeks. We're going to start that church in in Nevada. We're we're going there. He says, I sold the house. and, And I sold it to this Korean couple who had been coming to our church but uh, they left because they wanted to start a Korean church themselves. And he starts crying, and he says, God's going to use that house to start that church. <laughs> he later, uh, we had a great time of prayer, and he says, I'm looking forward to the day when I can invite evangelist Tim Schmidt uh, to Mesquite Baptist Church. And, and, uh, and so he emailed me later on that week, and, and it was about the time of breaking off Megan's job. We're taking this step of faith. He says, oh, you guys were such an encouragement to us taking this step of faith. And I replied back to him, I said, no, you're the encouragement to us for taking this step of faith. Here's a man that's retired. A man, he says, I was sitting in the rocking chair doing a crossword puzzle, and I thought to myself, God, you want more out of me than this. I still have some health, and there's still some things I can do. I want to serve you. And here's a man that should have everything settled, all of you know retirement, everything, and it's all uprooted. He has no family in Nevada. 
He has family in Southern California and Florida. The only reason why they're going or they've gone, they're there now at Mesquite, Nevada, is the call of God. He texted or he emailed me a few weeks ago. They've got a place. They're going to start uh, the first Sunday in January. Will be their first service. You know what he says? I don't want to suffer from the sin of unbelief. I want to see God do many mighty works. God's not finished with me yet. Oh, I. God's not finished with you yet either. He wants to exalt Himself through you. He wants to do that those many mighty works in and through you and in through this church. But where are you hindering Him with the sin of unbelief? Let's look to the Lord in prayer.